Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Pastor Tim, he kicked off our sermon series last week, and in our tradition, uh, on January 6th is Epiphany. And so last week, uh, we focused on Epiphany. Now, what's Epiphany again? Epiphany, not only is it a day in the church year, but it's also kind of a season of the church year. It's a season of our church life together. Now, what is Epiphany again? We use that word Epiphany when we talk about having a moment of like insight or revelation, right? Like I just had an epiphany. I just realized da, da, da. Uh, a light bulb goes off in our heads. It's an aha moment, right? So that's what we're having. We're having aha moments. That's our sermon series this far. And epiphany in the church is kind of like that. A light bulb goes off in the mind of humanity, the mind of the church, and an insight or a revelation or an aha moment is made known to everyone. Uh, we read about it last week. Isaiah, rise, shine, your light has come. Our Isaiah reading this morning, talk about the light to the Gentiles. It's a season of light. It's a season of insights. It's a season of realizations about Jesus, the manifestation, the appearing of Jesus as God and man. Now, when Pastor Trevor and I, we were talking about this sort of overarching theme, uh, we kind of got we kind of had to go with the aha moments the more we talked about it. But later on, I kind of wanted to change the sermon series. You see, whenever something really profound happens to me, I re- whenever I like kind of realize something or, or something's radical and I have a new insight, an epiphany, you might say, I guess maybe at times I might say, aha, but if I'm honest with you, I say a different word. And I'm wondering if anyone can guess it out there. When I have something going off in my mind, can anyone guess what word I might say? Anybody? Well, wait, wait, wait. remember, I'm a Southern California boy. I love the beach. Can anyone guess what I say? Dude, there we go. Exactly. Dude, I just, I mean, this happened the other day at like a formal meeting. I was like, dude, I was like, ooh, shouldn't have said that. <clears throat> dude, I just realized, dude, did you see that? Dude, think about this. Dude, that's awesome. So afterwards, I wanted our sermon series to be this. Dude <laughs> moments, right? Dude moments. Moments when you're like, Dude, I never thought of it that way. Dude, my mind has just been rocked. Dude, the synapses are firing upstairs. My heart is on fire. Dude moments this epiphany. How's that sound? Is that okay? You think that would work for a sermon series? Probably not. The sanctuary folks couldn't handle that. They couldn't hang. They couldn't hang with that. But I think we in Walker Hall, we can have an agreement that our aha moment series is really a dude moment series, right? So Pastor Tim, last week he kicked off our aha moments, our dude moments with the first dude moment, right? The spotlight of the star guided the Magi to Jesus, and Pastor Tim talked about the Magi. They came from so far to the little baby Jesus, the little infant Jesus, to give him gifts, but they were the ones who really got the gifts, right? And we talked about that on Christmas Eve, the gift of grace, right? If the Magi were so cow-born and raised like the rest of us, they'd be like, dude, we brought frankincense, gold, and myrrh, but dude. We were given eternal peace, faith, grace, hope, eternal inheritance, abundant life in Messiah, the Jesus, the creator of all frankincense, gold, and myrrh in the world. We thought we were going to give little gifts to this little baby king, but God gave us everything. Dude, right? Uh Uh-huh. Who votes for dude? Who votes for uh uh-huh? Okay, never mind. we'll We'll keep both of them going along the whole series. But our Isaiah reading that we read at the beginning of the service has a bunch of prophecies from 700 years ago, and those are 
bunch of aha moments, a bunch of dude moments in there. That Romans 6 text that we just read, such powerful, jam-packed with so many dude moments. But we're going to look at Matthew chapter 3, and there's a whole bunch of aha moments, dude moments in this text. And I think maybe each of us, we might leave with a different dude moment, but I got a few that I want to propose. So Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, it's going to be on the screen. It's also in your handout. It says this. It says, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, that's about 70 miles, uh, to be baptized by John. So first off, remember who we're dealing with here. We're dealing with John. John is John the Baptist. And who was John? John was actually uh, Jesus' cousin. And for the past few weeks and month or so, we've noticed the humanity of Jesus a lot. I don't know if you've seen that. I've tried to bring it out here and there. And what I'm talking about, I'll talk about the family part of Jesus. Uh, we looked at Mary, his mother. We looked at Joseph, his adopted dad. And before Christmas, we looked at James, and we talked about sibling rivalry. James is the brother of Jesus, and now James had, like, you know, animosity towards Jesus, but later on became the leader of the church and died for the cause of his brother, Jesus. And so now we see John, his cousin, right? Cousin. I remember Mary, the mother of Jesus, visited Elizabeth. Elizabeth is John's mom. She went to visit her when they were both pregnant. And when she came, uh, John leapt in Elizabeth's womb. Mary and Elizabeth, they were cousins, and they knew that their, their sons were going to do great things in the kingdom of God. They were family. Love that sort of theme that comes out. I kind of wish we knew, knew more about Jesus and John's relationship, and maybe one day we will, uh, but I'm sure that they were close. They were the same age. Their mothers went through pregnancy together. They were cousins. They were family. And so here Jesus comes to John, his cousin. But Jesus is not just a prophet, but he is the prophet. He is the Messiah. John knows this. And he comes to be baptized by his cousin, John. And people have wrestled with this very thing, the baptism of Jesus, because they're like, why did Jesus get baptized? Why was Jesus coming to be baptized by John? Especially if John's baptism, the, the baptism that John was offering, different than the, 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 the baptism of the New Testament church, he was offering a baptism in water for repentance. And so Jesus is sinless. He doesn't need to go out in the desert and to be baptized. He doesn't need to go out there and to repent of anything. So people wonder, like, why, why is this going on? His cousin John, he even wondered too. And obviously they were close enough as cousins for John to kind of feel comfortable challenging the Messiah of the world, his cousin. Verse 14 says, John tried to deter him, saying, I... I need to be baptized by you. And do you, I mean, the emphasis on you, and John's like saying, and do you? You, the Messiah of the world, the Son of God, Jesus, do you come to me? And we're thinking this makes sense, right? John was supposed to prepare the way for the Messiah. John even said the Messiah will have his winnowing fork in his hand. He would come for the end time salvation and judgment of all humanity. John has in his mind a Jesus, a Messiah, so superior to him that even just a few verses before our text, John says, I'm not even worthy to bend down and untie his sandals. Even though he's my cousin, I know who he is. But does he really understand what Jesus is about? Verse 15, Jesus replies to his cousin John. He says, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John 
consented. John permitted it. John went along with it. But he didn't completely get it. He didn't completely understand it. He didn't have a dude moment. He didn't have an aha moment. But looking back on the whole story, we get it. We understand it. And while John didn't get it at first, he eventually did. But Jesus said to him, he's saying, John, it's proper for us to do this. He's saying, John, we've got to do this. And why do we have to do this? He says, we've got to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. And at this point, you're like saying, uh, well, still, I don't even know what that means. And I, I didn't know what this means for a long time. But if you look in the Old Testament and you see the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God throughout the Old Testament often refers to the saving deeds, the saving actions of God for his people. So it refers to salvation. Jesus is saying, I got to get baptized by you, John, in this baptism of repentance to enact this salvation. John's got to be going still, I still don't get this. I saw a savior who would come in with his winnowing fork and judgment and salvation. But John went along with it anyway. And see, in order to get it, we got to remember, how did the God of the universe come into the world? The God of the universe humbled himself and became like us. That's Christmas, right? The God who created every human being, all of creation, became like a tiny boy, a tiny baby. And then when all Israel was going out, to John the Baptist, to be baptized him on the Jordan. They were repenting. They were admitting their wrong. They were admitting their sin. They were saying, I've sinned against you, God. I've sinned against your ways. They're coming out there. They want to get right with God. You see, Jesus, not only born as a human, when he goes out to the Jordan River to be baptized, he's standing in line with every human being. He's standing in line with the broken Israelites. He's taken the place of a sinner. And he receives from John, the Baptist, his cousin, the baptism that sinners received. As you see, at the very start of his earthly ministry, Jesus is standing in the place of sinners. And you fast forward to the very end of his earthly ministry. And Jesus is standing in the place of sinners in their death on a cross. You see, Jesus is standing in complete solidarity with us. From his birth and his baptism to his suffering and death, Jesus stands with us. He stands with us in humility and service. Humility, a humble presence and suffering. Not coming in with his winnowing fork with power and judgment like John thought it. Jesus' baptism is a sign of his humble ministry and his identifying with us with sinful humanity. In his baptism, it points forward to his death and to his resurrection and to the pla- his standing in place of sinners. Now, his cousin John couldn't realize all this at the time, right? But we do now. And my friends, that is definitely a dude moment. It's an aha moment, but just wait, there's more. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water and that moment, was it a dude moment? Was it an aha moment? And that moment, heaven was opened, and he, that's Jesus, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. So you have Jesus, the Son of God, and you have the Spirit of God. And then in verse 17, we have the Father. A voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. 
With him I'm well pleased. One translation says, in him I take great delight. I prefer that. In him I take great delight. You see that right there? You have the Father, you have the Son, and the Holy Spirit all at the very beginning. Our triune God, at the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, his public ministry, we're seeing here that from the outset, God, our triune God, is standing in the place that all sinners stand. In the waters where, where God's people had come and said, yes, John, I need God in my life. I've done wrong. I need forgiveness. I'm broken. I'm coming to, I'm coming to receive. But you see, it wasn't just those humble, repentant folks that came out to get that baptism from John. If you read a few verses earlier in our text, then you theologians, go home and check me on this. You remember that John, he was quite a spectacle. John was kind of like the crazy cousin, right, that we all have. I mean, he was wilt in the wilderness. He had camel hair clothing, a big leather belt. He would eat locusts and wild honey for his food. But even the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they went out there. But they didn't go out in repentance, but they went out in arrogance. They were the corrupt religious leaders and the corrupt church members at the time. And they thought they were special. They thought that they were more important of the rest of humanity. They looked down on others. They were claiming their pedigree. They were relying on the fact that they were Jewish, that they were the children of Abraham. They relied on that instead of relying on God's salvation, relying on God's righteousness. They weren't honest. They weren't able to look into their hearts and see their own hypocrisy. They weren't honest about the ways they had offended God and offended other of God's children, hurt God's children. And so I love it that here at Jesus' baptism, with all those people out there, all those people that, one, were yearning for God, and then also those arrogant Pharisees and Sadducees claiming their pedigree with Abraham, guess who shows up? Abraham didn't show up at the baptism of Jesus, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob showed up. The Heavenly Father showed up. And so while the religious leaders were claiming to be something because of Abraham and their Jewish pedigree, the God of Abraham shows up and speaks and says to everyone there, verse 17, says, this, this one, this Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary and Joseph, the cousin of John, the brother of James, this one, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. In him I take great delight. And that's where it just gets, I think, pretty awesome. Because if you fast forward Matthew chapter 3 all the way to the end of the gospel, Matthew chapter 28, you're going to see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coming again. Jesus talks about baptism. Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus says, Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is talking about the baptism that he gives. He's not talking about John's baptism. John's baptism was just a baptism with water for repentance. But Jesus is saying, I'm bringing a new baptism. Baptism in the name. Baptism in the power. Baptism in the authority. Baptism in the identity. Baptism in the actual presence of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. A gift. St. Paul puts it this way. We sang about this. Galatians 4, St. Paul says, When the set time had fully come, God sent his Son. His Son. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption. And in verse 7, St. Paul says, so you are no longer a slave, but God's 
child. You see, the words that were spoken by the Father to Jesus in Jesus' baptism, those words become our words in our own baptism. His identity becomes our identity in our baptism, in our faith. The Heavenly Father in our baptism, in our own faith, says to us and says to all those voices out there that try to murder our identity and our worth, all those forces and all those people and even those bad thoughts in our own minds that try to demean us and demoralize us and take us out of God's grace and mercy. Jesus' Father, our Father, our Dad, our Papa, He says to each and every one of us, He says, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is my daughter whom I love. With her I am well pleased. And I guess for me that's a huge dude moment. An aha moment. And maybe you feel like me because I'm like, dude, I'm part of the family. Like Mary and like, like Joseph, and like Brother James, and like Cousin John, and like Auntie Elizabeth, and like Uncle Zechariah. I'm part of La Sagrada Familia. I'm part of the Holy Family. And not only that, dude, I'm in the family business. When you're part of the family, you're part of the family business. And this is the family business right here. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And here's the promise, being in the family business. Jesus says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the dude moment for me, maybe for you, we're part of the family. We're part of the family business. So let's get to work, family. Let's do the business of our father.